Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, uh, welcome to the program. It is uh, Good Friday. And uh, so before I forget, because uh, I might, at the end of the show, I want to wish everybody, I just got an email that said, uh, I wish you uh, what insert holiday here, uh, because for Jews, it's tonight is the first Seder celebrating Passover, and uh, of course, this is the holiest uh, weekend for uh, Christians. Muslims, I don't know. You got anything going on this weekend? I don't know. You can do what Jews do and you just uh, eat Chinese and go to a movie. That's all I'm suggesting. Um, but I want to wish you all a very happy Easter and or Passover. Uh, I'm going to start today with something a little bit unusual, and that would be two sports stories. <laughs> I know baseball season has started. This has nothing to do with baseball. One of these stories is about hockey. The other is about basketball. Uh, but I, I happened upon both, and I I took a liking to both, and so I it's my show, and I get to decide what, what I get to share with you. So here's, here's uh, coming up first. Uh, An unlikely hero in the uh, NHL last night, uh, a guy named Scott Foster, uh, who is an accountant. (laughs) These are rough days for accountants. I always, if you know an accountant, you know, you always sort of feel sorry for him in in the waning days of March and into April because this is their, to say the least, uh, busy season, uh, crunch time. So here's an accountant who somehow managed to uh, find time to uh, go to the uh, Chicago Blackhawks-Winnipeg Jets uh, game. And uh, this game was in Chicago. And there's this thing about hockey that is unlike any other professional sport that I'm aware of. And that is that it's the one sport that professional sport where it is possible for someone who is not even listed on the roster to come out of the stands, (laughs) suit up, and play in the game. Yep, it can happen. And it did in Chicago. And the guy who came out of the stands was our accountant, Scott Foster. Now, just so it doesn't seem as ridiculous as I've made it seem thus far, even though everything I've told you is correct, Scott Foster has a designation that some people around the country do have, and that is an emergency goalie. And because there's this thing in hockey where a, a team might be carrying, what, they carry generally two goalies, if both goalies go down... <laughs> What they gonna do? So I guess most teams have always in the in the arena at some point a um, emergency goalie, lest uh, one is required. And uh, Scott Foster, who's 36 years old, uh, had been an emergency goalie a number of times. He never, I mean, it's next to never that this happens. And uh, he plays in a hockey rec hockey league, and he played in college. And um, he says he sort of he loves the designation, and he especially loves that he gets to sit in um, really good seats and eat free food. Um, and that's the way it's always been until last night, <laughs> when the first string uh, ho- uh, goalie went down. I guess in practice. And the second guy, who was a rookie himself, making his first, I believe, appearance, I'm not sure, uh, he gets injured um, with 20 minutes left in the game or 15 minutes left in the game. And uh, so he was, the call came, hey, <laughs> so he has to get out of whatever he's got to stick. Can you imagine, I mean, how how long it takes for a goalie to get dressed? I so I guess they call a timeout or something. I don't know. He he got dressed, and um, 
And he said the initial shock happened when I had to dress, and then I, I think I just kind of blacked out after that. <laughs> so this guy goes on to the He has never been in an NHL game. And um, he comes in, and uh, he was asked, so did the coach give you any uh, advice? He, he said, uh, no, I don't think I heard anything. He was absolutely in a daze. I don't think I heard anything other than put your helmet on. Um, and in the 14 minutes and one second that the accountant played last night, he stopped seven of seven shots, and he faced seven shots. So... When the game was over and the Blackhawks had won, he was he was mobbed. <laughs> what a thrill. I just love it. What a thrill. I was trending all over the Internet. Um, and he, Foster afterwards says, this is something that no one can ever take away from me. It's something that I can go home and tell my kids. And so he is now the icon for um, all adult recreational hockey players uh, all over the world who've ever imagined themselves uh, in the NHL because uh, he did it. Anyway, he's got to go back and do someone's tax returns this morning. Uh, <laughs> I love that story. Okay, the second sports story is, as you know, the Final Four, the uh, March Madness ends fittingly, on April 1st. Um, and we've got four teams uh, still in the mix for the uh, college uh, bragging rights. Uh, and the the underdog, um, and the one I'm rooting for, you know, just because I always back people who don't have a chance, um, is Loyola Chicago. They were in the 11th seed. I'm sure I'm telling you stuff you already know. But I came upon some history that I found fascinating. The it's been a long time before since uh, Loyola Chicago found itself in the Final Four. In fact, it's been since 1963. And Loyola Chicago was a was a basketball powerhouse in 19. 63, along with uh, Cincinnati. Those were like the two biggies. Loyola Chicago was in the top five teams. Um, and just to set, again, the historical sense, context being everything, 1963 in America was a, not a happy time in a lot of, a lot of places. In 1962, that was the year that James Meredith, a black young man who had a court order in his pocket and um, hundreds of federal marshals around him, uh, marched into the University of Mississippi. Um, Deadly riots ensued. So 1962, 1963, 1963, Southern college basketball teams were strictly segregated. There were no black players on any Southern team. And a lot of coaches at integrated teams in the North sort of lived by an unwritten rule that they would never play more than two black players at any time. Thus, the majority of players at any given moment on the team would be white. In 1963, Loyola Chicago was one of the few integrated teams that ignored that unwritten rule, along with a lot of others, because in 63, it started, its starting lineup had four black players. 
So uh, Loyola is in the hunt in March Madness, and uh, it was ranked as the Midwest's best. It was in the top five nationally, as I said. Let's get another team in here, Mississippi State. Mississippi State had won the two previous Southeastern Conference titles, but it had actually turned down invitations to the NCAA tournament, lest it would end up having to play a team with black players on it. But something changed in at the end of the 1962-63 season because Mississippi State decided it would go to the playoffs. And the university president of Mississippi State announced it. All hell broke loose. Um, there were uh, court cases, segregationists went to uh, all the way to the uh, Mississippi Supreme Court trying to stop Mississippi State from playing in the tournament. This went all the way to the day before their first matchup, and uh, the team was actually spirited out of the state to go to... Um, forget where in Michigan that the, uh, the, the tournament was... Uh, was held. Uh, the JV team was, uh, you know, used as a decoy. If any, if any cops or any um, or any uh, lawyers uh, with uh, injunctions in their hands uh, were looking to stop them, so they actually, uh, you know, cloak and dagger stuff got the Mississippi State team out of uh, Mississippi State. And just again to set the the atmosphere, the governor of Mississippi, you might recall the name, you know, those of us who lived through this period, Ross Barnett, as loathsome a segregationist as ever existed. And uh, he was on record as saying this, if there were a half dozen Negroes on the team, where are they going to eat? Are they going to want to go to the dance later? Are they going to want to dance with our girls? So the governor was speaking for the people of, of the state with that kind of lovely utterance. Anyway, uh, both teams got back through their initial thing. And these teams, Mississippi State and Loyola Chicago, met up in the Sweet Sixteen. So this would be the first time that the pl white players of Mississippi State ever played a black player. Loyola Chicago started its usuals, four black players, one white. Mississippi State, of course, took the court with their all-white team. And the game was absolutely free of any trouble at all. The players shook hands before the game. Um, there was no, not a single incident occurred. And Loyola Chicago won by 61 to 51. I guess this would be the greatest segregationist fear. Their white boys were shown up. And then Loyola Chicago went on. It beat Illinois and then Duke at the Final Four and then uh, took on the two-time defending champion Cincinnati for the title game, and Loyola Chicago won that as well in overtime. So, I, you know, Loyola Chicago has a... Uh, it's been a long time since they've been at the Final Four, as I said, but the last time they were there, they went all the way, and they made some history and obviously uh, woke some folks up on the way. 
It wasn't until 1965 that Mississippi State allowed in its first black student. It wasn't until 1967 that the SEC allowed a black basketball player in its conference. I mean, 67, I'm out of college. This is the world I grew up in. And one of these games that you're probably most aware of because it got made into a movie, in 1966, an all-black team from Texas Western beat an all-white team from Kentucky in the uh, NCAA final game. And that has been immortalized in the movie Bound, uh, oh, Glory Road. I was going to say Bound for Glory. Glory Road, yeah. So uh, there you have it. By the way, Loyola's, that championship team for Loyola in 63 was inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame in 2013. It is the only team to be honored in such a way. And uh, and today, I mean, if you look at Loyola Chicago, they're an integrated team, white and black. If you want to hazard a guess at Missis uh, look at Mississippi State today, Mississippi State today has more than a dozen, more than a dozen black players <laughs> on its roster. So there, that was my, and my little sports and uh, history stuff because I, I really loved both those stories. Okay, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to do what I kept saying I was going to do for the last like two days and then forgot about it until it was too late. So let, And at this point, I probably, I've lost some of the, the heat I felt when I, when I made sure I had this in my uh, quiver, uh, as they say, quiver, like an arrow quiver. Not necessarily a verb. It can be a noun. Quiver. <laughs> I remember about 25 years ago, someone called the show. It was a woman. And she said, you think you're so smart, don't you? You're always trying to use big words just so that we feel dumb. And, I, I mean, it was so... It had never occurred to me <laughs> that someone might feel that way. I was so stunned and I and hurt. And I said, I'm not, I don't use I use words cuz they're in my vocabulary and I I love words and I always looking for the right one and I like taking ones out that don't get used a lot, you know shaking the dust off them and putting them out there, giving them a moment. I love words. And I think I like using words that you don't hear that much because um, maybe someone else will think, geez, that's a neat word. I forgot about that word. I'm going to use that. Because, you know, it's literally like they say about muscles, uh, you know, use them or lose them. Uh, words that go unused do eventually sort of fall away uh, the more they disappear from uh, our vocabulary uh, the more they get into sort of an endangered word zone and uh, most of us employ so few words you know on a daily basis when there's such the English language is apparently extraordinarily rich in words. Although I would argue that Germans got to have the, I mean, they got words for stuff that are, what was the one I saw the other day? They have a word for that 
for, like, let's say you're, like what's happening in my house right now, one of the speakers on my TV every once in a while exudes this awful loud static sound. I mean, it can wake you up, and, and the TV doesn't have to be on. I mean, it, 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 it jolted me out of bed the other day. And um, and let's say you called someone to take care of it. The Germans have a word for that time when you call the guy to come over and you say, listen to what this speaker does, and of course, the speaker doesn't. Or you bring your car in because it's making a knocking sound. Listen to what my car sounds like. And it doesn't. So they, they actually have a word for that. Just like, you know, they have a word like schadenfreude. Which we don't. Which is why we have to use their word. So they have words for, I, I, I don't know. I don't know German, but I, I think they got a lot of a leg up when it comes to uh, vocabulary. Okay, so <clears throat> I don't think of Utah as a progressive state, <coughs> but in this case I find them extraordinarily pr progressive because Utah has uh, passed a law called the Free Range Parenting Bill. <laughs> I love it. And uh, it actually did not have one dissenting vote. I can't imagine this. It passed unanimously in both houses of the Utah legislature. And it's believed to be the first such law in the in the country. And what it does is it exempts from the definition of child neglect all kinds of stuff that the Utah legislature now says parents can let their children do without supervision. And the legal language in the bill is, quote, it permits a child whose basic needs are met, in other words, who is fed and clothed and loved, a child whose basic needs are met and who is of sufficient age and maturity to avoid harm or unreasonable risk of harm to engage in independent activities. Now, it's particularly wonderful that the Utah legislature did not define sufficient age and maturity. They left that to parents to decide whether their child uh, was sufficiently mature to walk to school alone, to ride the bus alone, to stay at home alone. And the reason such a law was needed is, of course, because of busybodies who have called the cops upon seeing a child unaccompanied by an adult maybe walking to the neighborhood store or riding a bike by themselves. I don't know. You, you know that this has happened. People have been, have been in fear of actually having their children taken from them because they allowed their children to walk to school because they remember walking to school and obviously coming out unscathed, and, and yet you don't see it anymore. I mean, I have mocked, as you know, the parents who stand, you know, waiting for their children to get off school buses and then take them by the hand and walk them home. Like a kid, I'm t they're in the neighborhood. The bus drops you off, walk home. Some of these kids look, uh, you know, old enough to babysit. Jeez. Anyway. I'm just saying, it drives me nuts. And to me, most people get this absolutely upside down. I think parents who don't let their children 
go independently, I think they are being horrible parents. I think they are not allowing their children what all children need to grow into adults, which is forays into that real world out there by themselves to prove that they can. It's part of what a parent's supposed to do, I thought, to instill in a child independence and assuredness. So anyway, I love that the Utah unanimously said to all the busybodies out there and all the social service agencies who don't know an abused or neglected child when they apparently see one, hey, back off. Back off. If a parent wants to raise a child in this much more free, free way, a free range child, as most of us who grew up in the 50s and 60s were, that was called raising a child. It what, didn't have to have this adjective free range. You ran out of the house and you ran back around dinner time. That was it. Nobody asked you anything. Nobody knew where the hell you were. There were no cell phones. And if you think that there were more bad people lurking in bushes, there are now, you're wrong. Okay, so um, this whole idea of free-range parenting, I guess the term stemmed from an, a column uh, in the New York Sun that was written 10 years ago. And it was written by a mother, a woman named Lenore Skenazy. Um, and this is a mother who lives in New York City, so she's raising a child in New Now, this will blow people's minds, right? She's raising a kid in New York City. Her kid is nine years old. He's a boy. And he has been pestering her for a long, long time. Mom, I swear, you can leave me somewhere and I will find my way home. He so wanted to prove it. So one day... This mother gave her kid a map, a metro card to ride the subways and buses, a $20 bill, and just in case some quarters so he could get to a pay phone. And she left him in the handbag section, handbag, that's like billfold, left him in the handbag section of uh, Bloomingdale's in Manhattan. And as I said, this was his idea. This was his idea of the greatest thing that could happen to him. So she walked away from him. It was a spring day back in 2008. And she said this in writing the column that she then wrote, I trusted him to figure out that he should take the Lexington Avenue subway down and the 34th Street Crosstown bus home. And if he couldn't do that, I trusted him to ask a stranger for help. And then I even trusted that stranger not to think, gee, I was about to catch my train home, but now I think I'll abduct this adorable child instead. Long story short, she wrote, my son got home ecstatic with his independence. Well, that story kicked off. I, I remember talking about it because 10 years ago I was doing what I'm doing now. Yap, 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 yapping. And 10 years ago I had a younger son and I was a free-range parent. Um, within days that story was all over the place. 
and some headline said, America's Worst Mom. So this mother got pilloried. Uh, but within a year, she had written a book, and she'd coined the term free-range parenting, allowing her child to do activities without constant, stifling parental supervision. And ten years later, the wise legislators in the state of Utah have codified it in law. Um, here's one of the uh, one of the legislators in Utah that, well, they all voted for it, said this. As a society, we've kind of erred as our pendulum has swung for children's safety a little bit too much to the side of helicopter parenting. We want children to be able to learn how to navigate the world so when they are adults, they're fully prepared to handle things on their own. And lawmakers went on to say, look, the state is not in the business of arresting parents for letting their kids walk around the neighborhood alone, okay? And they said, because they've seen this play out in states, other states, they wanted to ensure that no parent or child in Utah had to deal with this kind of crap. Uh, you'll remember the parents in Maryland, it was a few years back, who uh, were charged with child neglect because they allowed their two children, the girl was 10, I believe, and a boy was six, I might have it backwards, 10 years old and six, okay? And uh, their parents allowed them to walk home by themselves from a park that was nearby. The police picked the kids up. And Child Protective Services was notified, investigation was opened, um, And their mother said this, you know, the world is actually safer than when I was a child. And I want to give them the same freedom and independence that I had. Basically an old-fashioned childhood. I think it's absolutely critical for their development to learn responsibility, to experience the world, to gain confidence and competency. Uh, a bill similar to what Utah passed was uh, proposed in Arkansas last year, died in committee, and uh, the woman who initiated all of this, the free-range parenting woman, responded to that by saying, and so Arkansas has preserved the right of its authorities to barge in on families who simply want their children to have a tiny taste of independence most of us remember from our own childhood. Why give kids freedom? Why give parents freedom when you can take it away so easily and say you're championing safety by doing so? Here, here, I just wanted to say thank you God, thank God. I don't know. There's no you, you. You can't get around the parents today. They're 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 scared, and they're unable to let go. And that, see that screws a kid up. I mean, you got kids in college who can't make a move without calling their mommies. They call their mommies ten times a day. And the mommy in the you know says, "Oh, I have such a close relationship with my child. I think that's toxic. How do you ever achieve a level? I mean, have you ever heard of separation? I believe you ever heard of you know, good God, birds? No, you kick them out of the nest. That's the job of a parent. 
not to hang on, to cling to them, to not allow them to make the mistakes that help them grow. Oh, I know, but one mistake would be one too many. What if they're abducted? Oh, you know. I hate the fact that I have sometimes said something to a child, like maybe we're in a place together, and I'll say something to the child, and the child will react to me like I'm, you know, going to kill them. And that child has been well-schooled by their parents into being fearful of every person they don't know. That's the way we raise our kids now? Fear of everybody else? Don't trust anybody else? God, shoot me. I mean, I, what a world. Caller, go ahead. Hello? Hello? Uh, so I've only, been, I've only partially been listening. So did they put any limits on this whatsoever? I haven't seen the whole... I'd be pretty nervous about doing that in, in Utah. <laughs> Oh, now, now. I haven't, I haven't. They, they say, you know, obviously if something egregious is going on, there would be the ability to, uh, you know, for authorities to step in. But, I mean, I think it's a very libertarian approach. They're saying it's none of the government's damn business. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, but I wouldn't see anything. Personally, when I see something passed unanimously in the Utah state legislature, I certainly gives me pause yeah but look at what it is (laughs) are you kidding me really i I mean i don't know another i mean it's not been that long since how long ago was it that we heard about these 12 year old girls being married off there like uh, three years ago we're not talking about 12 year olds here we're talking about i don't think they marry off seven year olds and eight year olds it's it's not the same thing there's an upper there's an upper limit on it oh come on I can't, I can't live in this fearsome world that you people inhabit. I don't think, no. I, I grew up exactly like you did. Okay. Uh, we would hear a yell. We would be miles away and hear yeah. a yell for supper being ready. So yeah, well. I, uh, I totally agree with you, but I'm saying uh, the only What do you think Utah, yeah, you, because it's Utah? <laughs> so you have this, this it's a, come on. I mean, have you ever known a Mormon? Uh, anything <laughs> being passed unanimously in a red state. Yes, I'm saying this partially in jest, but I mean, you Never, you didn't. If you see something unanimously passed in a super red state, you don't get it. That doesn't cause well, any hesitation. Okay, look it up. I'm sure you can find the whole damn bill if you want. Yeah. And uh, you know, if it want, I, I, if you want to sleep tonight, um, I got a feel. I, I don't even. Okay, all right. I, I think I'm good. Thank you. I'm okay. just curious. <laughs> you too. All right. Goodbye. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. Be careful out there. Right. Be careful. It's a dangerous world. Oh, how wonderful. Milton has told me of a wonderful German word that stems from the word meaning something along the lines of a face that is begging to be punched. <laughs> it means either... Okay, a, desa- a face... So you would use it as that so-and-so has a... has a Bach... I I don't know how to pronounce it, but he he has he has a um, given me the site where I can get the pronunciation, but I'll I'll never remember the word. But see, they do. They just have they have words that we don't have. God bless them. And Barbara sends us this from. Khalil Gibran, or Gibran, I've never knew, on children. I already like it. I like the first line. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. 
You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living... Oh, the bows, sorry. You are the bows, speaking of quivers, from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Good advice there from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years past. You don't own your children, not their thoughts, not their souls, not even their bodies. You don't own them. Let them be. Yes! <sighs> okay. Let's see. What else I got here? What else I got here? Oh. This story left me shaken. Left me absolutely shaken. And I have to tell you, I boycott the state of Texas in general. I always have. I don't. I was there once. I well, I've had to fly through it. Uh, you know, a connection in Dallas or something. But I so despise the state. I'm sorry. I know there's good people there. I despise it. Never root for a team from it. <laughs> Their government is so despised. Listen to this. A woman, 43 years old, an accountant, African-American, is going to jail for five years. You know why? Because she voted in the 2016 presidential election. She voted. And it turns out, unbeknownst to her, she was not allowed to vote. Why? Well, because she lives in the great state of Texas and because she had once been convicted of a crime of inflating tax returns <laughs> for her clients. And she did jail time. She got out. She went back to raising her children and doing her work. And the election came up and she went to vote. Her mother was really urging her, honey, you got to vote. We got to vote. And so she voted. And it turns out that the great state of Texas, you've heard of people who have been convicted of a felony in some states, are not allowed to vote ever again. It's not as if serving their sentence, serving their time is enough. They are literally stripped of their citizenship. Now, why do you think that's done? That's done by Republican legislatures because their laws and their law enforcement and their judicial system also puts black people in jail Way, 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 way more than white folks. And so if you make sure that as many black people as possible will have some kind of a criminal record <laughs> and then deprive them of their vote, because you know they tend to vote for uh, Democrats, uh, that would really help Republicans to win elections. So that's what they do. Now, I want to say one of the few things that our state has done right is we do not have such an egregious law. 
you serve your time, you can vote. But she actually got caught because she was on probation. Now, I mean, she served her time. Then you get out and you check in with a probation officer just to make sure you're, you know, staying on the right side of the law. She was never told by her probation officer that while she was under probationary supervision, she was not allowed to vote. So she voted. And she was indicted on a charge of voter fraud, found guilty, and sentenced to five years. That ought to put a little chill in any black folk who think they can vote in our election. Unbelievable. Never mind that she voted in good faith. Never mind that she has these children at home. And she said, why would I want to jeopardize all that I did to get out of prison, to get out of the halfway house, to get back to my family? If I knew casting a vote was going to put me back in prison, would I have done that? She's filed an appeal. And she has said, after her conviction and sentencing, I don't think I'll ever vote again. That's being honest. <laughs> I'm never going to vote again. Well done, Republicans. That one you got. There's a black person who's never going to vote again. This is the United States of America. Somebody is jailed for five, a mother of children. You put a mother of children in jail, you punish those children too. Voting is such an egregious crime. I hate the state of Texas. I hate any state that would do such a thing. God Why isn't that in the news? Is that in the news? Why isn't that a story? Puppies dying in overhead compartments. That's a story. Man, that had legs. And I love puppies. But Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Excuse me. To have done that on Good Friday. Excuse me. Chuck writes... Regarding the rookie hockey, the, the guy off the bench for the hockey uh, game, ESPN was saying this morning that if the Blackhawks were to win it all, <laughs> the accountant Scott Foster's name would be etched onto the Stanley Cup. That's true. Of course, that's a big if, <laughs> given that the Blackhawks have lost more games this season than they have won. Yeah, they are not going to win the Cup, but it, it's just such a great story. It's such a great story. You gotta love it. Uh, Bob in Braddock says, I hope you'll please find some free time this Sunday and Monday to watch The Second Coming of American Idol. I haven't watched it. I should? Here's why Bob says I should. Because there's two from Pittsburgh contestants competing in the solo portion next week. One is Gabby Barrett from Munhall. And Aubrey <coughs> Burchell, Burchell, Bur Burchell from Irwin. Okay, Bob, I'm a I'm a I'm a home home homie. I will I'll try to remember to do that. I really will. Uh, we have a call. Caller, hello. Hey, 
Hey, Lynn, it's Roger. How are you? I'm fine, Roger. How you doing? You know, oh, God, no sighing allowed. No sighing allowed. <laughs> That's my new rule. Well, you started it. I sighed? You said Jesus. No, you, you got me sighing when you said Jesus Christ. Oh, I shouldn't have. But. No, it, it reminded me of, um, I wrote you a story probably 10, 12 years ago when you were on the radio about a, a church in the North Hills that posted this before Easter. April 1st is National Atheist Day. <laughs> it's April Fool's and Day. It's got, am- okay. And I got really jacked off, and I wrote you, and then you got you started, and you went on and on about it. The next day, the sign was said, new sign guy starts tomorrow. What? Well, okay, so I wrote, I, I, I got outraged, wrote you, you read my email on the air yeah. about um, that sign saying that April 1st is National Atheist, Atheist Day. Day. I don't remember any of this, okay. Yeah, and I got kind of like ticked off because that's kind of who I am, even though my wife says I should say agnostic because what the hell do I know? I don't know that's more true. than stupid Christians now. Yeah, I think, the, I so think I the, guess I got, the safe position is agnostic since nobody can prove okay, anything. Right? Sure. So I, I'll go that route. But <laughs> okay. Anyway, I got all jacked off about their, their stupid sign. And then you went on a tear, and the very next day I drove by the church, and the sign said, New Sign Guy Starts Tomorrow. Oh. Uh, well, someone has a sense of humor. Isn't that good? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well you know what, though? Um, what does... Isn't there a holiday this April 1st? What is, is that any meaning there? What, what, what is uh, what is April 1st this year for? What do you mean? April I mean, 1st is Easter, <clears throat> isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, but April 1st is also something else. It's too. April Fool's I Day. Mean, I'm, I'm being mean. I like know, I know, I know. Yeah. It was my grandfather's birthday. It's April Fool's Day. It's um, and it's National Atheist Day. It's probably other yeah, days, too. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, I'm not saying well, I anything. Guess, I guess really what, what it, I'm sorry? Nothing. Go ahead. Oh, I, I guess that um, one, one preacher told me it's really proof in the pudding day. It's more important than Christmas. It proves the... Well, it's true. ...the existence of Jesus Christ and God and all this stuff, because if he doesn't, if he doesn't rise from the dead, then there is no religion. So he, we call it a proof in the pudding day. Okay, but so. there is no proof, so hey. it's not proof in the pudding day, and um, there, nobody's got any proof of anything. Let's just acknowledge that, okay? Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you very but much. they're moral. <laughs> okay. Bye, Roger. Stop sighing. Don't uh, worry. Be happy. Bye. Okay. Okay. Ha- happy April, April Fool's Day. Yes, happy April Fool's Day to you, too. Um, <clears throat> no, I... No, I... Faith is uh, very important for a whole bunch of people, and I do not mean, I really, I don't like to mock. I do not. I don't believe myself. Um, But I I don't want to be as disrespectful as some atheists are, because they got no proof either. Um, I saw, where did I see this? Some mother trying to tell her kid that Jesus was not Christian. And she's making a hell of a case. I mean, that he couldn't be. (laughs) It was impossible. Jesus was not Christian, okay? He was Jewish. Because Christians only happened after Jesus, you know, was crucified and and allegedly uh, rose from the the dead. Uh, That's how then People who believed in the resurrection and all that stuff were called Christians. It's He himself was not a Christian. He was crucified a Jew. Okay, The Last Supper was a Seder, which is what I'll be doing tonight. Um, but it's always 
struck me. I was talking about anti-Semitism later. It's always struck me as just so bizarre that uh, this Jewish kid, that'd be Jesus of Nazareth, um, begot a religion that then was... Never mind. Okay, uh, Beth writes... Uh, after uh, W, that'd be Bush, W. Bush was put into office, I always said, can we please sell Texas back to Mexico? Really? I'm there. Or or when Texas starts, squat, Texans were saying, we want to secede? Go with my blessings. As I said, I, I, like, I let my kid go. I let you go. Go with my blessings. Yeah. Barbara's sending me pictures of little kids. Oh, my God, Barbara. Oh, my God, Barbara. Boy, it's so cute. You could die a little kitten. Oh. Oh. That's a feral cat. Oh. This is, um, this is one of, uh, there are the, these guys are ready to leave their mommy at six weeks. The mother is mostly feral, but had her litter of five inside a garage. She was starting to take them outside, maybe to teach them to hunt, so it was time to get them used to humans before becoming feral. Isn't this the cutest picture? Oh, my God, yeah. Well... Life... Um, yeah, animals are much more, uh, you know, they're much smarter about dealing with children than we are, I think. Just saying. I know people were appalled when I said that I never was even in my son's apartment that he had for three years in um, when he went to college. <laughs> When other parents are decorating their kids' dorm rooms, I, you know, come on, what? It's just, I know, I, I am free range to beat the band, but that's how I was raised. And look, I turned out okay. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, you turned 18, you left home, and you never looked back. Although, as I said, I will be with my entire family tonight because we're close, but but we ain't suffocatingly close. Uh-uh. I hope you all, um, yeah. Oh, the thing, never mind, never mind, never mind. And I did tell you that there's a lot of uh, guests coming up, I promised. Uh, on Monday, in fact, we will have, uh, for part of the program, uh, the chairperson of a group called Fair Districts, Pennsylvania. And this group is doing some serious work about getting the drawing of district lines away from politicians. Can we all say, yeah, yeah, can we, huh? Away from Republicans, away from Democrats, if they're the ones in charge. Doesn't matter. Get away, get a independent commission, non-political, to figure out how districts should reasonably be apportioned. This is a no-brainer. So we'll talk to those folks. And they really are. They are working. They are working, and stuff is starting to happen. <coughs> um, also on Wednesday, I think I told you already that uh, our old friend Jared Day, the historian and news junkie, and the uh, aggregator of something called Daily News Nuggets will be back with us. <coughs> Mrs. Rogers will be here um, the next week on a Thursday. And uh, the day before that, uh, a guy named Eric Lidgey will be with us, and I told you about something he had written for the paper that blew me away, 
And it's about Pittsburgh uh, being what's called a diagonal city. Uh, it It is impossible for me to explain it, so I will um, have him do it. <laughs> I tried. I can't. But I found it fascinating. So that'll be it. Hey, guys, really, enjoy your uh, family if you're going to be together. And uh, have a great weekend. And uh, happy Passover, happy Easter, and uh, I'll see you again on, on Monday, okay? Be good. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.